are listening to The Depression Session at 99.1 FM Downtown Radio. Each week, we'll have a new guest tell the story of their depression. I'm your host, Laura Milkins, and thank you for joining us on The Depression Session. Just a note for my listeners, I want to make sure you understand that this is a show about depression, and some of the content can be triggering, so please take care of yourself if something on the show brings up difficult feelings, and seek professional help if you need it. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the Depression Session on Downtown Radio. Today we have with us in the studio Jeff Brennan. Jeff is an environmentalist. We'll be right back with Jeff, but first let's talk about breakups. Life is balance of holding on and letting go. Rumi. I feel that way right now where I'm going through a breakup and I'm sad about it, but it seems like a good thing being really nice to each other like very like this is the right thing it's like the nicest breakup I've ever had I'm sad and yet I'm also feeling hopeful and I I some you know people keep checking we've like posted something on Facebook we're being really like I said nice with each other and nice with our friends and just feeling like yeah this is this is the right thing but it's sad and we're sad and that all being said, I feel really wrung out. I don't, I don't feel exactly, I think it's a little bit related to depression in that I don't feel exactly sad. Like sad's kind of the wrong word. Like I feel the way I feel when I'm depressed, which is kind of like, Ugh. and I feel emotionally wrung out. Like there's not a lot of feeling I can feel right now, which is weird, which is nice in a way, because I don't have to go to work feeling like, oh, the world is ending. But it is a sort of, I don't know, this is a weird feeling. I was trying to explain it to somebody the other day, and I couldn't really capture what it was. But I think it is that balance of holding on and letting go, like holding on about the nice things and letting go of the things you know, and moving on, letting go of the relationship, but holding on to the feelings and holding on to the person. And I, I haven't done that much in the past. I was thinking of past relationships and so many of them were like, Hey, you have another girlfriend and I'm not okay with that. And let's not see each other anymore. And this one is more, I love you. You love me. I like you. You like me. We don't have a future together. We don't really, we're not, we're not going to be together anymore but we still care about each other. So it feels very adult. I guess this might be what breaking up in your forties looks like or something. (laughs) So anyway, that's just wanted to share that with you all. And with depression, it's, I don't know, I guess I just don't know how to feel about things right now. And I'm kind of okay with that. As long as I'm not, I mean, I'm getting out of bed and I'm going to work and that's, you know, sometimes that's just a good thing. It's like that, that part, I don't feel that, like inability to move in the world. So I feel like it's a good thing right now. It's like, this is the nicest, sweetest, gentlest, kindest breakup I've ever had. And I'm feeling grateful and just like run out. I thought this was an interesting article from elite daily. Your post breakup depression isn't about mixing your ex by John Alex Clark. Understanding the reasons behind what you're feeling enables you to take control of your emotions. It will help you realize what, why you're feeling a certain way right now. Then this will help you fall out of love with your ex, recover, and move on faster. Here are five psychological things that could be the reasons behind your post-breakup depression. One, you're worried about the future. 
One of the major factors that lead to the terrible way you feel after a breakup is concern for the future, but this pain has nothing to do with your ex or any love that you think you have for them. It has to do with your own personal worries. Concerns like this should be isolated from the love you think you have for your ex. Two, bottled up emotions are now coming back to the surface. People in relationships sometimes use relationships as a way to run and hide from other negative emotions and personal problems. These problems could be family issues, financial difficulties, or struggles regarding work or social life. In this case, you really feel bad after the breakup because you've lost your escape from reality. Again, this element is not related to your ex or how you feel about them. You're likely projecting your unhappiness with your life onto your breakup because it's easier to place the blame on something that's obviously painful, like a breakup, than it is to admit the problem was within you all along. Three, your pride is damaged. When you get dumped, it's natural for your pride to take a hit. And when your pride gets hurt, you translate it into pain. Learning how to handle this on its own will enable you to take control of this particular element of pain you're experiencing. After all, a bruised ego doesn't equate to heartbreak. Some of the pain you're feeling is your pride's pain, not your heart's. Four, you're having self-confidence issues. What's wrong with me? Is there something missing or lacking? Am I not smart or good looking enough? Where did I go wrong? What else could I have done? When you get dumped, it's normal for you to think something is wrong with you. This element of your pain, however, is not related to love or your ex. It's actually about how you perceive yourself. It roots from self-esteem and self-confidence issues that should be addressed independently to lessen the pain you're feeling. Five, you've lost your routine. When you're in a relationship, you get used to certain routines you did as a couple. This includes travel together, celebrating anniversaries, having a time of day when you check up on each other, etc. Any person who experiences a change or loss of such routines will go through withdrawal. This is the last element that contributes to the post-breakup pain you feel, and that is not intrinsically related to your ex. You will feel this emotion regardless of who you're in a relation with and how much you love them. It should not be confused with feelings of love. It's the loss of the routine that hurts, not the loss of the person. The pain you feel after a breakup is not solely related to love, but rather caused by combined emotions and feelings rooting from personal thoughts and experiences. Understanding the reasons behind the pain after a breakup empowers you because you can then realize the depression is not always going to be related to love or to your ex. This helps you take control of these emotions and deal with them separately. To get over someone fast, you need to dismantle false beliefs about love that have been instilled in us by the movies we see and the music we listen to. In place of these false beliefs, you need to place the reality of what really causes your pain after a breakup. I thought that was kind of interesting. And, you know, some of them I don't relate to, like self-confidence. I I don't know. I hardly ever have any self-confidence issues. I, occasionally, though, I have had a breakup where I thought, God, what's wrong with me that I can't make this work? It's the loss of the routine. That's a hard one. And the other one that I know I'm struggling with is worried about the future because I've got so many changes going on right now. So I wanted to end. I started with a roomy quote, and I want to end with a roomy quote, which is, don't dismiss the heart, even if it's filled with sorrow. God's treasures are buried deep in broken hearts. Rumi. So today we have with us in the studio, Jeff Brennan. Jeff is an environmentalist. Hello, Jeff. Welcome to the Depression Session. Hey, Laura. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so glad to have you on. What do you want to share with our audience? Uh, just, you know, the experience, you know, strength and hope with the depression and, you know, how I got uh, working through it. Yeah, you because know, it never goes away. It's always there, at least for myself. And, you know, to see if, you know, my story can help somebody. 
Yeah, I'm sure it can. What kind of environmentalist are you? You know, what is what's your interest? What's your <laughs> what's your specialty? I guess. I do uh, environmental consulting here in Atlanta, so I do lots of outdoor uh, work with well, with salt fences, erosion, and carbon monoxide testing, some you know things along that sense. I'm an avid hiker where I live in Colorado for 11 years, so I fell in love with the mountains, pretty close to Arizona too there, and uh, just wanted to get back to the environment, so I got a degree in it. Wow. Yeah, uh, Tucson's definitely an interesting environment. It's the mountains and the desert, and we're soil, soil conservation is always on my mind here. <laughs> and I have my, I picked my first tomato of the year, my very first one. I planted them in April, and they spent all summer not producing any fruit because we had a really kind of weird year, I think. Or who knows? <laughs> and then we had the warmest November on record. And now it's December, and I have a tomato. <laughs> well, you wouldn't have it in Atlanta right now. Yeah, good thing there's no global warming, right? Yeah, that's what I hear. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I just wanted to get to know you a little bit more. And um, so you like hiking and climbing. Is that is that something you can do around Atlanta a lot? Yeah, there's uh, the Appalachians are about an hour north of Atlanta. So I go up there as much as I can. Free time, weekends. Uh, the Appalachian Trail is pretty close. So I'll go up there. And it's a really great way just to be with yourself uh, in the moment. Any stress, anything involved with that, it's an easy way. I learned that from Colorado just to get rid of it. You know, just to relax and be in the mountain air. And then come back to the city with all the craziness. You know, but I love, I love the mountains. I love the beach. I love everything that's outdoors. Yeah. yeah so it's, Atlanta's just nice weather when it's not 100 degrees. <laughs> Tucson's yeah. nice weather when it's not 100 degrees. <laughs> that's what I hear. I've been to Phoenix. Uh, I haven't been to Tucson now. Tucson's cooler. So, yeah, Tucson's cooler. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, Phoenix was hot when I was there. Uh, we're often, so, you know, five degrees cooler makes a difference when it's 105. <laughs> it really does. Yes. You see that in Atlanta. So. <laughs> yeah, really, we have the humidity here, too, so it makes it even worse. <laughs> I think I prefer to be in the dry heat. I'm a fan of the dry heat, I will say. Yeah. I don't really like the dry cold. Although, you know, it'd be, it'd be nice if we got cold and a little snow. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's where you go to Colorado. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, northern Arizona gets the snow too in the mountains. Yeah, northern so, Arizona is beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. It is gorgeous there. So, on that note, Jeff, tell us the story of your depression. Yeah, thank you, Laura. So, for me, it kind of starts at, at an early age, actually, from as long as I can remember, I have felt the same. The depression has always felt the same. The isolated feeling, feeling alone in a world so big, just feeling like an outcast. And I had that feeling since I was a kid. It was really hard for me to be okay with that because I always wanted to fit in. And I always tried to do that. 
So that's where the anxiety aspect came in, doing that. So the anxiety, depression, they're all interlinked. And so that basically, you know, up until about 13 years old, that's kind of how that went. My parents kind of hinted that I had depression, but we never really got anything diagnosed. So around middle school, seventh grade, I um, got introduced to drugs and drinking. I started smoking pot when I was in the seventh grade and drinking in the seventh grade. And that continued. My parents got divorced when I was young, so I felt like I was alone. didn't really have anybody to talk to. You know, my father wasn't around. You know, having somebody new come into the picture is always difficult, I think, for anybody. I already had a depression stigma, so it kind of made me feel a lot worse. Just about myself, you know, just like I felt like it was my fault type of thing, you know, that my parents got divorced or whatever it was, and always trying to figure out what the answer would have been. So, high school, I played lacrosse in high school, so I had a lot of friends, varsity lacrosse. I was always outgoing, I was friends with everybody. Went to a big school here in Atlanta, so 650 people in my class alone. So I grew up with all of them, and we're still friends to this day. I'm in my early 30s, so, you know, those are lifelong friends that you keep in touch with. Your high school, Atlanta has a really big drug problem uh, as far as the suburbs, the inner city. So long story short, I got my drug problem increased throughout high school. I got introduced to more drugs, harder drugs, introduced to more drinking, and harder drinking, and it's not something that... 14 to 18 year old kids should be doing in excess because your brain's still developing and I had depression so I was basically you know destroying that and anybody that would have wanted to talk to me I didn't want to talk to so I was isolating myself using the drugs as a way out because I didn't know any way out I didn't know how to how to deal with life uh, without it so that carried into my 20s around 20 years old I moved out to Jackson Hole in the Grand Tetons. And then after that, I moved down to Colorado, got into climbing, hiking. I was still doing drugs and drinking a lot throughout my 20s. In my late 20s, I went back to college and finished my degree in forestry and natural resources. So that gave me some hope for the future. You know, all in the same while, feeling that isolated is not good enough for the world type of thing. But I had this diploma, so... I had a little dignity or integrity, I guess. And I come from a big family, blended family. I'm one of four from my parents' first marriage. And on the other side, there's four as well. And I'm one of 30 cousins on my dad's side. We're Irish, uh, Roman Catholic. So, you know, big families, I guess, are a part of that. And I shouldn't have that feeling of being alone in a world so big. But it's the most common feeling I've ever had in my life. The further and further away, I went, drugs came with it, and at 29 years old, I went into rehab. I weighed 150 pounds, and I was drinking excessively. I was doing a lot of, a lot of unhealthy and dangerous drugs, and to the point of near death. So, I go to rehab, and I get into a program, so feeling, you know, feeling good, like AA and NA, everything that helps you out with that. So I start wrenching myself just a little bit. After I left rehab, I got introduced to my therapist, who is just wonderful. She saved my life. I see her every week. Yeah, I feel like she's the only person who understands me. Yeah, that's how therapy is, too. But 
you know, you have to have that connection with the therapist too for it to be able to work. And I have that connection and it's it's been a lifesaver because for my seventeen years of my addiction, I wasn't able I I didn't open up it at all. I kept it all inside and I felt more alone than I ever had in my life. And now that I have somebody to talk to, it's just it feels like a weight has been lifted off. I'm nowhere near cured cured or anything. After you know, that's Depression is, you know, I feel for myself is with me forever, and I have the, uh, I'm learning tools to get around it, you know, with my medication, therapy is medication, so that's something that will continue for life, and, you know, at first that's really scary to, you know, just to know that, but it feels also really comforting to know that I have therapists that's always going to be there for me, that I have medicine and it's not going to go anywhere so I stop paying for it, God forbid but I see the changes in myself as I get older with the depression and you know, I feel like I'm still like in the very beginning process of it. I have I actually had two years of sobriety yesterday and you know, that's a big accomplishment for me from where I was and I don't suggest that life for anybody at all but people have to make their own choices have to make their own mistakes to see it and that's what I did my drug was cocaine I was doing $200 of it a day so I had kidney levels through the roof when I went into rehab and that's why I weighed 150 pounds I was very sick I've lost friends to this disease already my grandfather was an alcoholic so it's hereditary and I feel like depression is hereditary too. I don't know who it's from, but somewhere down the family line, whether it's my mom or my dad, whoever it is, somewhere down that tree of family life, I received it. And I'm beginning just like to try and be okay with it. It's a part of me, and I'm trying to accept that. I'm trying to be more aware of that in my life rather than my addiction. And I'm more focused on my depression versus my addiction is. I want to be aware of the triggers and what makes me upset. And it's it's kind of like subconscious thing. You know, like I'll subconsciously start feeling down and I won't even know why. You know, it'll just start happening. And I'll go into this dark, dark place in my mind and I'll feel like I'm in a cave and I can't can't get out. And it's, it's scary. You know, that feeling of being alone is there too. It's just, it's something that's the most familiar thing in my, in the way I feel. And I just feel like it's not going to go away, but there's ways to mediate it and work around it. My therapist got me back into drawing, which helps a lot. I do pencil and charcoal and lots of stuff like that. And she got me back into playing lacrosse again. Was a big thing for me to, you know, reach out back into society. After living in Colorado, you can, you know, talk to the trees for 11 years. You can feel alone out there pretty easily in the mountains. And coming back to Atlanta and that society, it's kind of scary. So I do that. I hike all the time. I participate in the AA world. You know, I go to therapy weekly. So it's on, it's a routine. I, you know, I've heard from depression. My therapist tells me that routines are very good. And, you know, we, we both think that. So keeping that routine going cross, hiking, the hobbies that you do to get you out of that funk 
and you know it works. It's it's been the best thing for me, and yeah, you know, I still keep my world really small. I don't want it to be super big. You know, get stressed out over it, and keep it real peaceful and calm. And you know, it's snowing right now, so I kind of like to think of it as I'm trying to keep it tranquil, like the snow and peaceful, and really just that calm vibe that you feel somehow, but that that feeling goes away again subconsciously with depression really easily. And I guess that's where the stuck feeling is of never feeling like stagnant feeling of not ever escaping that feeling and it's with you for life. And the best thing I think for depression is reaching out and talking to people and whether it's a therapist, whether it's your mother, whether whether it's a family member, somebody that you feel close to, that you feel that you feel an honest connection with, that they're not gonna hurt you and you know, hurt your emotions or anything like that. That's that's the biggest aspect of my depression and my my story. I just hope that that's able to say help somebody struggling just to hear that they're not alone, that they're okay, that they're that this feeling is there's ways around it and you know, I'll just reach out and be with somebody. Well, thanks so much for your story, Jeff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the the lifelong feeling of isolation, I just feel like that's such a common experience with depression. I think it's the worst for me that's the worst part of it, is isolating. It is. It's a really it's a really horrible feeling and yeah, you know, like I said, it seems so familiar, and it's almost like a subconscious feeling that there's nothing I can do to get rid of it. And I can be in a room full of people and feel more alone than I ever have in my life. And it's really hard when you come from a big family and you feel like that. Yeah. Yeah, I come from not a big family. It's just my mom, my brother, and me in my immediate family. But my extended family, I don't even know how I'm related to some of them. It's just people that have always been around that are like, we call them aunts or cousins, but who knows if they're actually related. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's really great to actually grow up in a big family. Yeah, you know, I have a lot of cousins my age, uh, early 30s, and it's just really great. You know, they'll, they'll always pick up the phone and I still see them. They're all from New Jersey. The Jersey Shores, as they call it. <laughs> so I can go up there anytime. And, you know, it's great to have that. You know, I got fit brothers and sisters spread out across this beautiful country of ours. And California, Idaho. I was in Colorado. So it's we, we grew up in the East Coast and we're experiencing the West, I guess. In my <laughs> I feel like but, it's easy from the stormy, wet, rainy east of the United States to feel drawn to the places where the sun shines and it's mountains and <laughs> open yeah, spaces. Yeah. It's, it's just the furthest west I did before I moved to Jackson Hole when I was 19 was Auburn, Alabama. And yeah, I never really saw mountains until I went out there and I just fell in love with it. That it kind of, it kind of pumped me and you know, find out who I was. Yeah, you know, it's it's gorgeous out there. 
great there. It's just a plane ride away still. I don't have to live out there. So far away from family. Yeah. And drive out there if I felt crazy. And it's just, it's not that far. It's, there's a lot to see in Western U.S. And yeah, I just hope everybody who's from here has the experience that I did to go out and see that the other side of the country. Yeah. Yeah. Or vice versa. If you're from out there, you've never seen it. Another thing that I wanted to speak on was the the kind of drugs and alcohol and how easy it is with depression to end up there. You know, you, you already feel isolated and then it is sort of like a social thing, but it's a social thing that allows you to not feel anything or to feel good. Yeah, it's uh, the feeling good part went away when I was about 25. You know, that became like the peak of my addiction and I'll tell us to anybody, it doesn't work. Drugs, they're, they just, they pull you further away from who you are. It kills every amount of emotions that you'll, that you'll feel. And it's not anything that I regret. I'm glad I had the experience because I now know about it and I can move forward from it. But by the end of my addiction, I was doing, I was doing three and a half grams of cocaine a day by myself. Yeah. I wouldn't let I wouldn't let anybody do it, and that's about as isolated as you could as you could be. And yeah, that could take. It, it's a scary place. So the last thing that I wanted to speak on was the routine. I really relate to that because this year is hard for me because I have a routine that's not it's not natural for me. It's a lot of late nights at work early mornings free but no one's around i don't know it's just i i miss i want a routine but my schedule doesn't allow me to have one that works for me and i don't i don't know why that's so hard but i when as soon as you said that i thought yeah it's really important to have a good routine when you're depressed when you have depression i should say not when you are depressed but when you have depression yeah when you have depression so it can get you out of that depressed feeling that routine is just it keeps your mind from wandering, I guess. Yeah, you know, I got ADHD as well, so it's easy for me to wander. All of these things were diagnosed like great when I was in rehab and I was like, Oh my god, this would have been great when I was thirteen but yeah, whatever, twenty nine works. And yeah, the routine is just it's great. It gets track and you know, I don't feel lost and you know, that's again goes with the isolated feeling and yeah, if the routine helps me feel on the earth plane, then by all means, I'm going to do everything that helps with my depression. And I think that we all end up in this, like, whatever works. If I can find something that works, I'm going to do that. One of the things I really related to was the therapist, but in a different way in that I have and it sounds terrible, but I've never really found a therapist that I genuinely clicked with and that was helpful. I found a shiatsu guy that really was helpful for me when I was in a really bad place, and I just see him once a week or more. But I feel that you're so lucky to have found somebody that really works for you. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful for that. It's It's been, you know, like I said, she saved my life, and She's still saving my life right now, and you know I see her once a week, and my God, it's like the best time of the week to you know go see her, and just talk, and you know have that that unconditional 
love there, that, that unconditional like, you know, feeling of like, mutual you know, friendship there that I never thought of anybody because I built relationships on drugs my whole life. So I never really had that experience. So it's an all overwhelming, great experience. And I just hope that people who struggle are able to find somebody who they can quit with or, you know, whatever helps for them, that it does help them and just stick with it. Well, that is a perfect note to end the show on. Thank you so much for being on the Depression Session. Thank you so much, Laura. I want to mention again that if you found some of the content of today's episode triggering, please seek professional help and call 911 if you feel like hurting yourself or others. I'm not a licensed therapist, and this show and the station are not endorsing any remedies or products. The purpose of this show is to destigmatize depression through storytelling. You can find a link to mental health services on downtownradio.org on the About KTDT page. To listen to the podcast, or if you're interested in being on the show, contact us at www.thedepressionsession.com. You've been listening to The Depression Session on Downtown Radio Tucson with music by Septahelix. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at The Depression Session Podcast. Thank you.